0: Happiest season of all, unless you're really stressed and you're not feeling blessed and in debt to the mall. Ah. Most wonderful time of the year. Uh, We are all the way into the Christmas season. If you are not ready for Christmas, it's too late. You are gonna get run over by the Christmas train. I'm telling you right now, it's coming. Nothing you can do about it. Um, and you know what? Actually, it's no secret that during the holiday time, a lot of people feel like they've been run over by a train. Right? It's it's you know well documented. Seems like every year I'm reading a uh, new article about this uh, at Christmas time. How? The holidays are so rough on so many people for so many reasons. Um, I just saw a study this month that said, uh, it was a study of doctors that talked about how uh, chronically ill people, people who are dealing with ongoing diseases, get sicker during the holiday season. Uh, And they talk about, is that because of... Um, You know, the stress related to the holidays, is it related to depression? They don't know, but but the the numbers uh, spike. Hospital visits, doctor visits, all that goes up this time of year. Uh, We all have full to-do lists this time of year, do we not? And uh, my to-do list almost never becomes a to-done list, and that's a problem. We have family gatherings, which for some of us is not something we look forward to. Uh, You have work Christmas parties, which means you have to socialize with people you don't even like to see at work. That's a problem this time of year. Um, There's a ton of financial stress related to the holidays. We know this. Um, I just saw another recent poll said that 69% of Americans said that they would gladly do away with any gift exchanges during the holidays if only their loved ones would agree to do the same thing. Um, We eat more during the holidays, and what we eat is not good for us. People drink more during the holidays with all the wonderful benefits of that, Uh, from drunk driving arrests to traffic accidents to fights at family events and all the other wonderful things that alcohol contributes to. Um, This is the worst weather time of the year for us uh, in North America and uh, also the time when the most people travel, which is a great combination of things. Um, There are more hours of darkness this time of year, right? The, The winter solstice is coming up next Saturday. So I thought, well, how, you know, I always feel, oh my gosh, it seems like it's always dark, you know? And so I looked it up, like how much difference does it make between say winter solstice and summer solstice where we live? Uh, Difference between um, uh, mid-December and mid-June is four and a half hours a day of darkness. And we are in darkness four and a half hours a day longer this time of year um, and of course, we miss loved ones, we have missing loved ones, some of whom have passed away, some of whom have moved away, some of whom have just run away, gone away, gotten away, whatever the case might be. Um, and if all of that is not enough to add to the challenge of this season, we have the fabulous Christmas commercials on television. I love these things. Um, Well, there's the one, you've probably seen this. It's this strikingly handsome young guy. He's probably 27, 28 years old. And he's got his hands over his wife's eyes. And she, by the way, looks like she just came off a magazine cover, right? And they they come walking through this massive foyer of their house and out the giant double doors of their 10,000 square foot house and into their big curved driveway. And out there is not one, but two new trucks, right? There's a truck and an SUV, and he takes his hands off and says, I got us these for Christmas. And she goes, Yes, it's what I've always wanted, and runs to the truck. And he goes, But I I Oh, I guess I'll take the SUV. Aren't you glad they made it through their holiday stress? Who are these people, these 28-year-old billionaires who can afford to do this stuff? I don't know who these people are, but I'm jealous of them. And if that wasn't enough uh, stress on me to be jealous of, it's not bad enough that there are fake people in commercials that I have to compare my life to, but there are you people and your fake lives on social media that I have to compare myself to. And I don't ever see selfies of you and your spouse fighting. I never see that on social media. I don't ever see. What I see is this beautiful picture of this family in matching Christmas sweaters. They look like they were carved out of cream cheese. And they're standing in front of some beautiful, pristine background at an ocean or something. And they all have these beautiful, gleaming white smiles. And I think to myself, oh my gosh, I'm sitting here watching reruns of Golden Girls. What is this all about? And then I realized that I didn't get to see the three and a half hours it took you to get the fights all broken up and the tears all wiped away before that fabulous picture was taken, right? But we all see it. Everybody's life looks so great online. And so now I don't just have to measure myself against these fake people in the commercials. I have to measure myself against you fake people too. So Christmas brings with it a bunch of baggage and we might as well admit it and we might as well talk about it. But last week um, we looked at a guy in Luke chapter 2 named Joseph who doesn't get a lot of Christmas publicity And today what we're going to do is we're going to do more of an overview in Luke chapter 2. So we're going to really cover the whole big story here. And what we're going to do is just kind of fly over and take a snapshot, fly over and take a snapshot like like a spy plane. We're just going to take a look at some moments. In the big Christmas story as we look at it together. So we're going to be in Luke 2 for the most part. If you want to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. Let me just tell you as you're turning what my goal is for my message today. The goal of this message is to encourage you at Christmas. The goal of this message is that if you are feeling like a 10 at this Christmas season, I hope you will leave here feeling like a 12 or a 13. But if you're feeling like a negative two as far as Christmas goes, I'm hoping we can get you to a a solid four or five. I want you to leave here more encouraged than when you came in, because as we look at the Christmas story, there is reason for us to be thrilled. And the the story begins really, uh, we're going to begin today in Luke chapter one, verse 26. That's when There's this angelic visit that comes upon this young uh, teenage Hebrew girl by the name of Mary, and the angel says, as we all know, uh, you're going to be with child, and um, Mary's response is, um, how is that possible? I've never been with a man and the angel says, don't worry, God's got this. You don't need to worry about that part of it. But by the way, when you have this child, this child is going to be the son of God. And she says, oh, well, that makes all the sense in the world to me. That's just fine. And then the angel says this, by the way, it's not just you, but there's another miraculous pregnancy. You have a distant cousin named Elizabeth, and she's an old woman already, and she's been barren her whole life. She's way past childbearing years, but she is already pregnant with a prophet. And in fact, you should probably go and visit her. And so we see Mary heading off to stay with her her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, we know in Elizabeth's womb is John the Baptist waiting to be born. And when, when Mary walks into the house where Elizabeth is, Elizabeth says that the baby leapt in my womb at the presence of Jesus in this place. And so just this um, baby Jesus inside the womb of Mary is having this impact already. And Elizabeth begins to uh, talk to Mary about what happened. Now, Elizabeth has a husband, Zacharias. He doesn't talk to Mary at all because he's the strong silent type. And we'll hear more about that in a second. But Elizabeth tells her to be encouraged because this is a good thing. This is a positive thing that God has done for her, and she should be blessed. And Mary starts to think about this, and after a while, she thinks about it. She sits down and writes a poem, and the poem we have in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, okay? So let's pick it up in Luke 1, 46. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm, and scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And sent away the rich empty handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. You see, Israel has been waiting for a Savior at this point for thousands of years. If we go back and read the Old Testament, you go all the way back to the early chapters of Genesis and you find these first allusions to this Savior who is going to be coming, right? And and the, the woman is going to have an offspring and that offspring is gonna crush the head of the serpent. We see that in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 12, we see God calling Abraham and saying, not only am I going to bless you, but through you, through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. All the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed by this one who comes through you. And so since Genesis, we've been hearing about this and all the prophets mention it and they all talk about it and it goes on and on and there's this anticipation building that God is gonna send a savior, there's going to be a Messiah, there's gonna be a deliverer, there's going to be one who who overcomes our enemies, there's going to be one who takes care of us, there's going to be one who delivers us and God's people are waiting for that one and it has been 400 years since anyone has heard a word from God. The end of the Old Testament period to the beginning of the New Testament period is a gap of 400 years there. Not a prophet speaks. Nobody hears anything in Israel from God in that time. And really everyone is just passing down these memories about what the prophets said and what God did back in the days of old. But it's been 400 years since anybody has seen any evidence of any of this. Now think about this for a second. Like when we look at the the scripture, we go, man, this is thousands of years right here, right? But think about this, 400 years. You have any idea what your ancestors were doing 400 years ago? Do you know what their life was like? Do you know what they believed? Have their beliefs been passed down to you? Probably not. 400 years is like 10 generations where they've been waiting to hear from God. And the question has got to be, listen, what happened to God? Did God abandon us? Does God no longer like us? Did God die? Where did God go? And there's this waiting and this anticipation and this holding on to the tradition, but nobody really knows for sure if we're ever gonna hear from this God again. And God's people are beginning to feel oppressed. And so... If you're going to send that Savior, now would be a good time, God. And when Mary finds out the whole story, she's so overwhelmed that her only response is to cry out in praise to God. Once she grapples with it, once she understands, once she sees that God has been working not only in her but in Elizabeth, that she's not crazy, that she didn't just think she heard from an angel, but she realizes that God is in this, her first response is to sit down and cry out in praise to God. And so Mary goes home after spending three months with Elizabeth, and eventually she gives birth. Um, her her um, husband... I'm talking about Elizabeth's husband, right? Elizabeth's husband has uh, doubted what God said. God spoke to him, said, hey, you guys are going to have a child. And he laughed and said, that's ridiculous. And God said, really? In fact, I don't think you're going to talk again until the baby's born. And so he's been mute now for nine months. And he's a priest. He's been mute now for nine months. I don't even want to think about ever being mute for nine minutes. I'd be out of work. He's been mute for nine months, and he's not saying anything. But when John the Baptist is born, when the child is born, then um, he he writes down, his name is John. That's the name that the angel gave him. His name is John, and he writes it down, and when he has that act of faith, God loosens his tongue again, and he's able to speak. And when he is able to speak, what does he have to say? After nine months of not saying anything, what does he have to say? Here's what he has to say, verse 67. Uh, "'And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit "'and prophesied, saying, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, "'for he has visited us and accomplished redemption "'for his people.'" And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. And he goes on and he just he just either shouts or sings this, this poem of praise to God. The first thing that comes out of his mouth after nine months of not speaking, praise to God. Then we go on to chapter two, where some angels have been sent to some shepherds in the well-known story that you know because Linus read it to us every year <laughs> as we were growing up. And the shepherds are keeping watch over the flocks by night, and suddenly an angel appears. Right, and and we get this story in uh, chapter two that a savior has been born, and the message is given to these shepherds. And before you know it, the sky is filled with angels. And the angels are praising God. Go to chapter 2, verse 13. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So the shepherds go and they visit the newborn king, and he's lying in a feeding trough, and as they as they uh, worship Him, and then they go away. The Scripture says that as they went away, guess what they were doing? Praising God. That's their response to being introduced to Jesus. Are you starting to see a pattern here? It's starting to develop. As the story continues... Joseph and Mary take Jesus to the temple when he's eight days old, right? It's time for his circumcision. And when he gets to the temple, there is waiting there outside the temple a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon is an old man. He's been at the temple for the better part of his life because when he was a young man, God told him that he would not die until he saw the salvation of Israel. So he has been waiting for this Savior and he figures I might as well wait at the temple and worship God while I'm waiting and while he's waiting he looks up and he sees this young couple carrying their eight-day-old son into the temple for the circumcision rite, and he immediately the Holy Spirit tells him that's the one and he begins to rejoice and he goes up to them and he gets to hold the baby and when he does what does he do he praises God And he gives us this little song of praise. And then there's this lady named Anna. She's as old as Simeon. And she's been there for decades and decades and decades. And she too is waiting to see, the scripture says, the consolation of Israel. And when she sees the Christ child, she knows that this is the Savior that we've been waiting for. And what does she do? She begins to praise God. You can read all of this in chapter 2 of Luke. Do you see the pattern now? See, everybody in this scene finds himself or herself praising God. Mary, Zacharias, the angels, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna. If we were to take our time, go on reading, we would meet these magi, these these, uh, visitors from the east. And what do they do when they see the Christ child? They praise God. And so over and over and over and over again, we just see this pattern and as so many of us struggle during the holiday season i wonder if that's what's missing in your christmas experience praise see it's really easy to get distracted or confused it's it's even easy to completely ignore jesus at christmas time At the time when you would think would be impossible to ignore Jesus. But when you stop and realize that what this is really all about, this Christmas story, this Christmas season, you just can't help but lift up your voice to praise God. So before we get out of here this morning, I want us to take a few minutes and think about this concept of praise and then measure our lives and ask ourselves, "Where does all this fit in my life? What needs to change in my life? So let's think about praise. First of all, I looked it up. Praise is a verb, right? So if you can go back to, I don't know, when you learned this, fourth grade, something like that. Go back to elementary school when you're learning about nouns and verbs and adjectives and adverbs. A verb is what kind of a word? It's an action word. A verb is a word where you're doing something, right? So if you look at this verb, you see that um, The thing that you're doing when you're praising is, uh, the first definition is to express approval or admiration. To just express approval or admiration. Think about the songs that we sing on Sunday mornings, the praise songs, and how many of those songs are just filled with words of admiration and approval for God. That's what praise is all about. But I love, later on down the line, they give these multiple definitions. One of the definitions was, the opposite of complaining or grumbling which I really like, that helps me a lot. Just, just picture, we've all, we all know people like this. You might be sitting next to a person like this right now. We all know people who just, the glass is always half empty, right? The, the, the situation is always grim Things are always too difficult. There's always something wrong. There's always something to complain about. People that are just shriveled up and bitter and they can't enjoy life at all. Picture that person, right? Don't shout out any names. But picture that person and, and picture that face. You wanna know what praise is? It's the opposite of everything you see in that person's life, okay? It's the opposite of that grumbling and complaining spirit. It's the spirit that wants to exalt And give approval and admiration. Listen. I know that so many of us. Are hurting. During the Christmas season. And it's natural. When you're hurting. To want to grumble. It's natural. To become depressed. But the appropriate response. To Christmas. Apparently. Is praise. Praise. First of all, first thing we need to know about praise, it's a decision. Praise is a decision you make. And it's a decision that changes your perspective. Change, change, uh, praise changes our perspectives. Um, there's a guy named Richard Foster who wrote a great classic book called A Celebration of Discipline. And in A Celebration of Discipline, Foster says this. He says, our enemy, Satan, our enemy, majors in three things. Hurry, hurry. Busyness and noise. Our enemy, Foster says, majors in three things: hurry, busyness, and noise. Does that sound like any particular season of the year to you? See, so isn't it interesting that in this Christmas season, which has come to be known for its hurry, its busyness, and its noise, that we have to realize that this day, this season that is set apart to get us to focus on Jesus, what our enemy is trying to do is get us to focus on anything but Jesus. And, and so the busier we can get, the more hurried we can get, the noisier our atmosphere becomes, we can't find the time, we can't find the energy, we can't find the quiet to even sit and pray. We, we don't find time to praise him. We don't, we don't have the, the wherewithal to, to make him a focus in our lives. This is the busiest time of the year for most of us. <clears throat> That's the reason, by the way, that we cancel so many like, regu- regularly scheduled church events, Bible studies, and grace groups, and all that kind of stuff during this time of year. It's because we know how busy everybody's life gets. But the interesting thing is that once we free those things up on everybody's schedule, you know what everybody does? Fills them with things that are not as valuable as those things. The idea was to create a gap. The idea was to create some margin in our lives so that we would actually have time to focus on the things that are important, like relationships, relationship with God, relationship with people. But instead, we're running around doing all of this kind of stuff. And so there is a spiritual battle going on at the Christmas season in particular. You know... Peace and joy, that's what was in the angel's proclamation to the shepherds, right? It's supposed to be about peace and joy. So stop and ask yourself, how much peace do I experience during the Christmas season? How much joy is really a part of my life during the Christmas season? In a time of year when everything seems to be encroaching on any sense of joy or peace for us, praise changes my perspective. Praise takes my eyes off of me. Praise takes my eyes off of my life, my problems, my schedule, my finances, my expectations, my emotions, takes my, my eyes off of me and instead projects my eyes where they need to be onto Jesus. I love what Paul writes in Philippians chapter four. Just leave a finger in Luke two, but flip over to the right, several books to the book of Philippians. Philippians. And I want us to just look, again, a well-known passage to those of you who have been reading your Bible for years, but I want you to see this. It's in Philippians chapter 4, and we're just going to pick it up in verse 4. Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. See, Paul understands this tendency that we have in life to get Anxious, And he knows that our hearts go nuts, and he knows that our minds go nuts, and he knows that we get inundated with noise and busyness, and he says, I have a solution for you. Don't be anxious. What do you do instead? Things like choosing to pray, choosing to give thanks, choosing to turn your attention to God. Choosing to take your mind off those things that are just overwhelming you and put your mind on things that are good, that are true, that are pure, that are lovely, that are of good repute. Put your mind on those things, he says, and when you do, what you've done is you've taken your eyes off of you and your problems, and you put them instead on Jesus, and when you do that, what he says happens is, the peace of God that surpasses understanding guards your heart, guards your mind in Christ Jesus. You are protected against the onslaught of the enemy by your focus on God. It's a matter of choosing to set your focus on him. Choosing praise. And where the peace of God is, anxiety ain't. And that's what God's trying to help us with. So isn't it ironic that we can honestly look back and say, man, Christmas times have been some of the most anxious times of my life. Christmas times have been some of the most uh, challenging, tiring, draining times of my life. And God says, you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You have a choice about where you turn your attention. And when you change your attention, that changes everything. And by the way, when we talk about praise, <clears throat> I know we tend to think of uh, coming to church and praising God in song. Praise is way more than just singing. It's way more than just singing. You, you could praise God in any setting, at any time, at any place. You could praise God when you're driving. Some of you would be very good if you would change what's coming out of your mouth when you're driving to praise, Right? <laughs> You could praise God when you're driving. You could praise God when you're at work. You could praise God when you're out walking. You could praise God when you're resting. Those are great times to praise him. When you're on the freeway and some idiot cuts you off, that is a great time to lift your hand and praise God. It's a great time to do that. Whenever and wherever you are, there is a choice to be made about praise. If you choose to, you can praise Him. And when I do that, it's an incredible impact it has on me. See, praise sets me free from the bondage of the moment, and it allows me to live in light of the bigger picture. And there are so many things in the moment, you know, Oh, I'm late for work, I'm late for work, I'm late for work. You know, don't you love that feeling when you're late for something you really can't be late for? There's nothing you can do. I don't know if some of you were late for church this morning because the 210 freeway was all shut down. And, you know, I, was, I walked out and I saw this line of cars coming this way. I said, oh my gosh, everyone's coming to church today. It turned <laughs> out they weren't. So, so that feeling when you're late... And you just, you just, your muscles begin to tense and you just begin to think of all the terrible things and how frustrated it is. I mean, some of you, you just like being late. So for those of you that don't understand what I'm talking about, if you're an on-time person, being late is awful, right? I, I'm late for work. You know what? I'm just not feeling well today. I have a headache. I just have a sore throat. I'm just not feeling well. Or you know what? I just failed an algebra test. I'm going to fail this class. I'm going to have another year in the 10th grade. <laughs> That'll be four. And, and, and it just eats at you. See, the car needs tires. I don't have the money. The kids need braces. I don't have the money. All of that stuff is the small picture stuff. Now, I'm not saying it's unimportant stuff. Some of it is very important. But it's a matter of perspective, isn't it? When you get focused on that and this little thing, I'm late, I have a headache, I don't have enough money, and I'm focused on that, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until I can't see anything. And what God wants to do is wave his arms and go, hey, I'm still here. You know what? You're still saved. I still sent my son to set you free from the power of sin and death. I still love you. I still have a remarkable plan for your life. I have a remarkable plan for this day. I have a remarkable plan for this moment when you're late and gripping the wheel. God wants to remind us of the bigger picture. See, I'm not saying all that stuff doesn't matter, but I am saying that the old hymn is true. When I turn my eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. (laughs) Praising Jesus puts things in perspective. I know you can't find a parking place at the mall this time of year. I know. And I know you were sitting there with your blinker on and that idiot came and just jumped in and took the spot you couldn't get in fast enough. I know. But God loves you so much That he sent his son to become human, to die for you. Now, doesn't that put things in perspective? So why not praise him? Why not thank him? Mary's plan was completely squashed. Mary's life was thrown into absolute upheaval. And what was her response? She praised him. Zacharias hadn't spoken in almost a year to do this sudden onset of muteness and he had to adjust his thinking. He was just getting ready to retire and move to Florida. And now he gets news a baby's coming. And what is he thinking? He's got to be thinking, God, when we were 20, we begged you for a child. God, when we were 30, we saw every doctor to find out why we couldn't have a child. God, even into our 40s, we were still praying that somehow you'd give us a child. And now we are old and we are tired. Man, if you, some of you, if you're around my age, just imagine if you got news right now that you're just getting a baby. Oh, I love visiting my grandchildren and giving them back. But, but Zacharias got this news his whole life's about to change. And what did he do? He praised God. The, these shepherds, we don't hear enough about these shepherds. They're in the story every year. They had horribly difficult lives. To be a shepherd in that culture was that the very, the lepers were below you and that's it. They were complete social outcasts. They were unclean, unable to worship in the life of Israel. They had to live outside the city. They were homeless people, they were poor, and they were looked down on by everyone. And the angel came to them. And I love the message, for this day in the city of David, there has been born for you, shepherds, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And when they heard that and when they saw this child, what did they do? They praised him. Simeon was old, he was about to die and he got to see the Christ child. And what did he do? He praised him. The same was true for Anna. We didn't even talk about the magi. They traveled all that distance, right? And they had been gone hundreds of miles just to see this child and put their lives at risk. Their whole lives had been turned upside down. They're covered in dust. They smell like camels. And what do they do? They praise him. In fact, if you read the Christmas story in its entirety, just read the first couple chapters of Matthew, first couple chapters of Luke. I bet you're going to discover that the most common activity found in the Christmas story account in Scripture is that of praising God. Praise is the theme of Christmas. But somehow, the three words that describe so many of us at Christmas time are busy, stressed, and discouraged. Don't you think it might be a good idea to focus on praising Jesus? I always find this interesting. Every year, between Thanksgiving and New Year's is the lowest attendance in our church on Sunday mornings. And not just our church, but churches all over the place. Uh, every year it's the same. And every year I'm surprised. And maybe it's going to change. I've only been doing this 30 years and, and maybe it's going to change. But in the 30 years I've been doing this, I have found that, that you know in October and in early November, it's hard to find a seat in here. And here we are in December, and uh, has anybody got a seat next to them? Yeah, I see one or two. See, that happens every year, and I'm always surprised. I always scratch my head. I don't get it. I would think this would be the time, right? We're focused on Jesus. This is the Jesus time. This would be the time. But in, And I'm not blaming anybody. I understand. People are traveling. People have visitors coming to see them. People are dealing with cold and flu season. People are busy, busier than ever. I understand all of that. I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just saying, don't you find it strange that the one time of year when everything is supposed to be focused on Jesus We have a hard time making it to just a worship service on a Sunday morning. You think it might be time to change our perspective a little? You think it might be time to start weaving praise into our daily lives? Because there's something that most people don't understand about praise, and here it is. Praise is the prelude to joy. Joy. Praise is the prelude to joy. Praise is the, is the pathway to joy. Praise, what, praise is what leads us to a life of joy. You remember the angel's message? Go back and let's look at it again. And if you're in Philippians, go back to Luke and go to Luke 2. Let's pick it up in verse 10. But the angel said to them, remember, it's the shepherds. The angel says this to the shepherds. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among men with whom he is pleased. Christmas is about God's effort to make joy a reality in your life. That's what Christmas is about. For unto you has been born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's why it is a message of good news, of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And that includes you. Well, Pastor, you're going to have to forgive me, but it's the holiday season and I'm out of work. I know, I understand. Well, you know, Pastor, um, this is the first Christmas where there's going to be an empty seat at our Christmas table, and and you can't expect me to be happy at a time like this. I understand. I do. I know. I'm not trying to be tried. I'm not being simplistic. But I will say, there is a difference between happiness, which is related to our circumstances, and joy, which comes from the Holy Spirit. And even in our circumstances, joy is an option for those who know the Lord. God knows your sorrows. God sees your circumstances. He is keenly aware of your suffering. He knows what gets stirred up around the holidays for you. Neither he nor I is trying to make light of any of that. But there is something about praising him, especially at Christmas, something about praising him that reminds us of what is true in spite of our circumstances. You and I were hopelessly lost in our sin and he came to save us we were self-proclaimed enemies of God and he came to save us. We were incapable of doing anything about our dilemma, unable to save ourselves and he came to save us. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, not waiting for us to figure it out, not waiting us for us to get our lives right, he sent his son. And why did he send his son? The, the theologians tell us I love, this, I love this phrasing that the theologians tell us that the incarnation is about God becoming man. Why? So that God could borrow death because as God, he's unable to die and death is what's needed. And he borrows death so that he can die on our behalf so that we can live. That's good news of great joy, which is for all the people. And when we begin to praise him for things like that, it takes away the power of our circumstances to drag us down. So praise is a powerful thing. It's a very powerful thing, but remember what we said at the beginning of this section on praise? It's a verb. You have to do it. It's only powerful if you do it. And so, praise is a choice, and it needs to become a habit in our lives. And just like any other habit, it is formed through repetition. So, when you are driving, How many times have I had the radio on? I only have 10 million stations on the radio. I have all the songs and uh, podcasts on my phone. I could listen to anything while I'm driving. How many times have I gone, I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to listen. How about turn off your stinking radio? How about when you're driving by yourself to just take a portion of your trip and use it to praise God? That time you can't find because you're always stuck in traffic, you have it while you're stuck in traffic. Use it to praise God. When you are bored, I got nothing to do. What should I do? I guess I'll turn on the. No, how about praising God? When you're hurting, praise Him. When you're tempted, praise Him. Imagine if every time you were tempted, you praise God. Do you think maybe the tempter would stop tempting you? I think so. When you're happy, praise Him. When you're busy, praise Him. When you wake up in the morning, praise Him. When your head hits the pillow at night, praise Him. On that first Christmas, there were a whole bunch of people whose lives were in upheaval over the whole thing. And what did they do? One by one by one by one by one, they praised Him. And you know what? It turned out to be a pretty epic Christmas. My prayer for you is that you will have an epic Christmas as well. That you'll experience His joy this Christmas like never before. That you will experience that peace that the angels talked about this Christmas like never before. That that you will find your hope in Christ like you never have before this Christmas. May this Christmas be your best Christmas ever because this Christmas your attention is off of you and onto Him. That will make all the difference because... This Christmas, God has a plan to bless you, to give you joy, and to fill you with peace. And it begins with your praise. And it happens in a thousand different opportunities that you have every day. Praise is, quite frankly, good for you. So you should do it every day. But that's not the best reason to praise him. You know the best reason to praise him? Because he deserves it. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He, he is the, the one who gives every good gift. He is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who is our only hope. He is the substitutionary atonement. He is the sacrificial lamb. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And he deserves your praise and mine. That's why we should praise him this Christmas. And as you begin to turn your eyes upon Jesus and you begin to look at him in that way and understand him for who he is, I promise you, your life will be transformed But God's name will be glorified, and that's even more important. That's why we should praise Him this Christmas. And as you do, may God richly, richly bless you with the joy and the peace of the manger. Let's pray. God, after all of this talk about praise, all of this talk about praising You, I think as a congregation we should just praise you. We just want to thank you, God. We want to glorify you. We want to honor you. We want to give you praise. We want to say that your name is above every name, that you are the exalted one. You are the holy one. You are the gracious one. You are the glorious one. You are the one who is above all angels and every created being and every created thing. And all of us were created to give you glory. And so as your people, we join in the praise. We want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much that you made the sacrifice that you did. Thank you for the of Christmas. Thank you that joy is possible now. Thank you that peace is possible now. Thank you that hope is realized now because you came and gave yourself for us at Christmas. And we give you all the praise on this day in Jesus' name.